I thought I'd take a, an opportunity this evening to, uh, a little bit like what I did in January, have a, an adult's talk in the evening. We have the children's talks in the morning. I thought let's have an adult's talk in the evening because we're going through Mark's Gospel. And I think there's a, a question that certainly the world outside will ask uh, of the kind of book that we're looking at, Mark's Gospel. And if we hear those questions, we might even be concerned ourselves because can we really honestly stake our eternity on these books because that's what we're doing isn't it we're trusting ourselves to the message given to us in the word of God and if the word of God cannot be trusted well then we really are wasting our time and so what I thought we'd do this evening just for a few minutes think about just one little bit of evidence that supports the trustworthiness of Mark's gospel in fact all the gospels now we should have a, a powerpoint I think that will help us with this just a little bit. Here's uh, the, the question. How can we trust documents written 30 to 60 years after the events took place? So with the Mark as an example, the events taking place around 30, 30 plus AD in that area. Mark's gospel written somewhere in maybe the late 50s, probably the 60s. That's 30 years later. How can we trust it? How can we trust that they got it right? and that they didn't just make it up, which is, of course, what a lot of people would suggest. Well, there's a whole list of evidence, a whole list of, uh, of reasons, of rationales for supporting uh, the trustworthiness of the Gospels. But I want to offer us just one little thing this evening, but it's one fairly contemporary. It's a fairly new one. This is something that the scholars right now uh, are working on, some of them, and, uh, and we're just starting to get the fruit of their labors. And so this is quite exciting. Uh, in terms of scholarship, but I'm not that bothered about scholarship. I'm more concerned about us, normal people, in the church. And so what, what can we benefit from this? Well, here's the, what the evidence is pointing to. That the Gospels were written using written eyewitness testimony. Now, we've always heard and, and said that it was written using oral tradition testimony. That is, that they were very good at memorizing and passing on information. And that is true, and there was a lot of that in the process. But the evidence is now leaning towards, actually, that there's written evidence here, that there was written eyewitness testimony. Let me just give you uh, one line of, of support for this idea. Here, here's a random comment, I suppose, but it will make sense in a minute. The top 10 baby names for the UK in 2010. Now, if you had a baby in 2010, you might spot the name on there. If you didn't, don't worry. You'll recognize some of these. Here are the boys' names. And then here are the girls. Apparently, those are the most common names. Yeah, the top ten, the charts in this country. And you may notice a few you recognize. We've got a, an Oliver, an Olivia. Uh, what else do we have here? Chloe. It's interesting, isn't it? When you look at it, uh, I look at that list and I, I think back to when I was in school, which wasn't that long ago. Uh, I was born uh, three decades-ish ago. And so I was at school 20 years ago and my classmates didn't have those names. I, I, there was an Emma and, and a Jessica and I knew an Emily. That was it. All the rest of the names of, of my era aren't on that list. And that's only 20 years, 30 years. So what am I saying by that? Well, names change, don't they? And some of you are looking at that saying, none of those were in my class either, but because I'm the other side. You know, I'm, I'm 
60, 70 years ago. Some of them, of course, have, have gone round and come back in again. But the reason this is interesting is because now, because of archaeology, we now know what the common names were in Israel in Jesus' day. Okay, so using a, an awful lot of the archaeological digs and all the, the names and the registers and all the, the different information that's been dug up, we now have a, a top 100, I won't give them all to you, but a top 100 names list in terms of what were the most popular names at that time. Here are the, the top 10. You probably recognize some of these common names in the Bible. And the list goes on beyond that. And the thing that, that is interesting, uh, several things. One, first of all, the most common name, according to the archaeologists, is the most common name in the New Testament. There's eight Simons. And the second most common name, according to the archaeologists, is the second most common name in the New Testament. I think there's six different Josephs. And so you've got these common names, and knowing that can lead to some quite interesting observations in the text. Uh, by the way, just a little bit of background information. If you took the list of common names outside of Israel among Jews, completely different. You wouldn't even recognize most of the top ten Jewish names in Egypt at that time. So this is completely focused on the land of Israel during the decades around the time of Christ. And the reason this is so interesting and so helpful is because if, as the critics suggest, the Gospels were written much later far away, and therefore cannot be trusted, well then you'd suspect, you'd expect, that the people who were making up these stories would get the names wrong. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to make up a story, and you were going to base it in France 50 years ago, you might guess Jacques. <laughs> but you probably wouldn't quite match up as much as the New Testament matches up to the evidence. Even down to percentages. It really does match up. It's amazing uh, support. And so, for example, where do we see this? Where do we see support for this in the New Testament? Well, you take a list of names, like the list of disciples, for example. Here's the list uh, from one of the Gospels, 12 disciples, and I've put the rankings there next to the name. And the thing you'll notice is when the name is common, then there's an explanation of which one we mean. And when the name is unusual, there's no need. And so Simon, well, that's the most common name of all. So which Simon are you talking about? Well, who is called Peter? He's got that extra name to distinguish him from all the other Simons. Peter wasn't common at all. But Simon was super common. So Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Andrew wasn't a common name, but he's connected with Simon. No problem there. James, that's fairly common. Number 11, just off the list. And so to clarify, that's the son of Zebedee and his brother John. Another common name, but you put the two together and people would know who you mean. Okay, James and, and John. Then you've got uh, Philip, number 61. I'm not sure what his mother was thinking. It wasn't that popular at the time, but not many Philips around, so no need for extra information. Bartholomew, uh, same, 50th on the list. Thomas probably wasn't even a name. Probably was a nickname. Uh, the twin. Which makes you wonder, what was his real name? Uh, I don't know. We, we have to guess. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But it seems like they named him Thomas to distinguish him because his name was probably a common one. Maybe... Judas. I'd go with twin over Judas once you know the story, how it progresses. Or maybe his real name was Jesus. That was very common. And that would be confusing, wouldn't it? Jesus said to Jesus, 
until I see... No, no, it wouldn't work. So, so he was known as, as Twin. Well, then you've got Matthew, that's common, so he's the tax collector. James, another one. Uh, see, they're so common, there's a couple of them. Son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, not so common, as you can imagine, 39th. Simon, that's another one. And so he's distinguished as the zealot. And then Judas, fourth most common name, uh, he's Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. Now, that, that's not the only reason they add information, but it is interesting how consistently they add information when the name is a common one. Simon the leper, Simon the tanner, Simon Peter, and on it goes, Simon the zealot. Now, if you were writing the gospel decades later, miles away, and you were making it up, what are the chances of knowing what the common names were and using the right ones? And distinguishing the common ones from the less common ones. The chances are minimal. This was pre-internet, pre-Wikipedia. There was no way they could guess this stuff. And yet the evidence that the archaeologists are giving us in the last decade is just underlining the fact that we can really trust the Bible writers. Let me give you another uh, little taste in Mark's gospel. I think that list may have been from Matthew. Mark's is almost the same. But here's another thing uh, before I show it to you. When you have speech marks, somebody speaking, it would make sense in speech for them to be distinguishing who they're talking about. But when it's not in speech marks, when Mark is just telling the story, it's not so important because he knows you know who he's referring to. So, for example, let me, I think this makes more sense when I show you what I mean. In the story of uh, Herod uh, responding to stories, that, and, and then it retells the story of the killing of John the Baptist... It says this, when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. And then the next verse, for Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. Notice the difference. When Herod is speaking, he has to define which John he means. Because if if Herod said, John has been raised from the dead, the people around him would say, which John? John that used to work in the kitchen and had the heart attack last year? Or John who had the unfortunate accident with the chariot? Which John are you talking about? There's lots of Johns. No, no, the one I beheaded. Oh, right, that one. But when Mark is carrying on the story, he doesn't need to define who he's talking about. He just says John because we know which John he's referring to. And the fact that you get quite a lot of this... Some people are now suggesting is evidence that actually these things were written. This was word-perfect quotation within the text. A few verses later in the same passage, At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. She had to distinguish which one. She wouldn't want any John's head. You know, there might be another one working in the kitchen who could be in trouble. No, she wants John the Baptist's head on a platter. And just two verses later, so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head on a platter. So when it's in quotes, they distinguish, they define if the name's a common one. And when it's outside of the quotes, the writer Mark has no need to do that. Just a little thing. But when you start to see these, and the, and the evidence just piles up, place names that they get accurate and correct, descriptions, religious rituals, references to the Aramaic language, distinctions in accent within the nation, and it just piles up and it piles up and it piles up. Here's the conclusion of one of these scholars, Peter, uh, Peter Williams at uh, Cambridge University. He says, the Gospels have exactly the pattern of names and languages we would expect them to have if they were true. 
The pattern is too complex for an ancient forger to reproduce. This is a level of sophistication never seen in antiquity. One of the things that, that Pete Williams says is this, the more you say, well, it was, a, it was a cunning plan, it was a conspiracy, the more you attribute intelligence to these men, the less you can say they were idiots who made loads of mistakes, which is the other thing they say. And the reality is they were neither geniuses coming up with this uh, conspiracy across the, the Mediterranean world writing these documents and colluding to get it right. Neither were they idiots making it up and getting it all wrong. They were normal people who got it just right because it was based on eyewitness evidence. I, I don't know, maybe that doesn't excite you too much, but this is some of the stuff that some of the top scholars are working on at the moment. And if we just uh, be alert to it, we realize, wow, we can really trust this. this. The evidence just stacks up. This is a trustworthy book that God has given to us.